When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cavins. So maybe some of you thought that Greg and I were crazy last week listening to this podcast when we said, so you're saying the Patriots have a chance. Well, they not only had a chance, they actually pulled it off. It's the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cattles. And Greg, how in the world did that happen on Sunday night? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, look, we talked about it last week, and and I said I didn't have the cojones to pick the Patriots straight up. I Neither did I. You know, <laughs> um, you know but uh, – and I wasn't really even factoring weather into that. I, I just thought that watching the Ravens on film, I thought the big thing was they, they were just a different team than we remember from last year when they were a juggernaut sort of sweeping their way through the NFL through the second half of the season. And a lot of the things that we talked about really showed up in this game, and I thought – uh, number one, uh, defensively, they had a great plan against the Ravens. And we know that the Patriots uh, struggled for about the first half uh, last year at Baltimore against Lamar Jackson. I think uh, it was a situation where you can't really prepare for the speed and, and all the sort of – and probably more importantly than Lamar Jackson's speed and quickness, which is just – even in this game, when he busted loose a couple times – you're just like, I haven't seen that type of running since Michael Vick was yeah. in the league. I mean, yep. he's got dynamic. Um, but I think the bigger thing for this Patriots team was that, uh, you know, they had to eliminate getting distracted by all the bells and whistles in this game, all the pre-snap snap motion and things like that. I thought they did a really good job of that. But I thought, more importantly, probably the biggest thing in this game, and you got to give credit to Bill Belichick and Steve Belichick and Gerard Mayo for their plan is they basically they determined and and they're getting really good at this on both sides of the ball and it's really it's the theme on why they won this game is because the Patriots understand who they are now they understand what they can do offensively what they're capable of they're not going to try to do more than that they know now they know who they are defensively and they're not going to try to to do more than that so they they understand uh, they're not all that dynamic on the defensive line. They don't have all that much speed on the defense. So what they decided to do was, okay, we cannot let the Ravens make this a horizontal game. We can't defend every single blade of artificial turf at Gillette stadium against this team. They're too fast. And they're going to, they're going to hit gaps in, in seams against us, which is what the Ravens did last year. So what the Patriots did was they had a really good plan where they, they were just going to, they were going to set a hard edge. Uh, when the, when the Ravens declared a strong side of the formation where the tight end and or fullback are, uh, whether it was Chase Winovich or John Simon, uh, those guys who were on the edges on that side of the ball, they would go upfield, take out the lead blocker, get upfield, basically not let the running back outside there. If they did get outside, say the blocking scheme, if they were the Ravens were pulling two players, uh, they would bring uh, either Kyle Duggar or Jonathan Jones as sort of a, uh, a hanging defender. That's what they call it in football parlance. Uh, uh, it's a double hanging defender. 
and to to double up on not letting them get outside. So basically, the Patriots made the game between the numbers with their running game, and 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 that's basically making the game be fought in a telephone booth. And that's yeah. really where the Patriots needed to do it. They were highly successful, and that was a that was probably the biggest thing in this game. You know, it's funny because we talk in cliches at times and we've said for how many years Belichick waits until around Thanksgiving to truly figure out what his team is. And then once he knows what he has to work with, he will adjust and do what he's got to do to win as many games as possible. And what you just said is precisely that Greg, he's starting to figure out what this team is. We're what a week away from Thanksgiving. It should not be a surprise by at this time, the coaching staff has a clear view as to who's on the roster, what they can do, with those pieces on the roster to best utilize them to try to win games. And I thought that's what we saw on Sunday night. Two things I wanted to ask you about regarding the defense. A lot of people were tweeting about this on Sunday night. First of all, you had Chase Winovich playing as an off the ball linebacker for at least a decent portion in the first half. What'd you make of that change? And the dude had a monster game. Yeah, I was just counting up. I had him for uh, 12 plus plays in this game, wow. 12 impactful plays, which Holy is just crap. which is just ridiculous. I had him for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight pressures on the quarterback. Um, <laughs> it's a monster game. It is. And, and actually, I think you and I, I'm pretty sure that you and I talked about this about week two, I think, where I could see where this was going with the Patriots defense. I could see what they had in Jawan Bentley and not have. And I asked the question about, like, you know, I, I, I would look at putting Chase Winovich as stand-up linebacker. Now You did. What Now, was he a stand-up linebacker in this game? Not, not really, sort of. So, basically, I'm trying to figure out how to explain this to people. But, basically, you know, normally in a 4-3, regular 4-3 defense, uh, you have the four defensive linemen, and then you have the three linebackers. And, normally, wherever the, wherever the tight end goes – Whichever linebacker is on that side of the field, normally it's your strong side linebacker, best run defender. He'll come down on the line, and then the other two linebackers will be the -the off-the-ball linebackers. The Patriots played a version of that, but it was more of a 3-3. It was three defensive linemen, the three linebackers, and then they got the safeties involved. And so Winovich was basically, depending on how they set the formation, he was either the strong side linebacker on the line or the weak side linebacker off the line. And – that was certainly uh, effective in this game. I thought that the the Patriots finally decided to get a little bit more size on the field, and uh, the youthful legs helped uh, in terms of Winovich and Duggar. But I thought I thought Winovich was uh, terrific terrific in this game. I think some of it also had to do with the Ravens' offensive line that we talked about. Uh, was very challenged athletically once they lost Ronnie Stanley and Marshall yep. Yanda. Yep. That group, and then they they even benched, I think, the right tackle at one point in the game. Like it was, they were a mess on the offensive line. So I thought a lot of things went the Patriots' way. I thought a lot of Winovich's pressures were, you know, kind of easy pressures for him. Uh, it wasn't very challenging with the offensive line, but there's no doubt that, he, you know, he had a monster game. He was much more in the game plan. I but the thing is I don't know how much this changes things for Chase Winovich. Really? Because um, I think yeah. a lot of Patriots fans would watch that game and be like, "All right, here we go. Winovich is the man. We're going to ride this train all the way through the end of the season." But you don't think so? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure yet. Uh, I well, I do think. Look, I do think Winovich's 
uh, playing time issues uh, the the previous few weeks had to do with, um, I think some of it had to do with his personality and things that are going on, being on the radio, things that he's saying, uh, things that he's saying in interviews. But it also had to do mostly with they weren't sure whether they could trust him because, and this goes to the the, the heart of who Winovich is, and and it does lead me to question. I don't know how much of a future he has here. He could be here for t- the next ten years. I don't know, but. I'm just giving you the sense that I get. And this 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 comes from uh <laughs> this actually comes from I'm looking through my my photographer, Adam Reshens, who does a great job for us. Check out his work at adamreshens.com and on Instagram. Oh, I know the uh, picture you're gonna bring up. Yeah, well, so I put this on Twitter the other day, and there's actually more photos. But so I'm looking through his photos, which I do after the game to see which ones I want to use. And then all of a sudden I see there's Chase Winovich like smiling into the camera. I'm like, <laughs> what's going on here? Then there's more after the game where he's like, he's like giving, you know, hand signs to the camera. Like, all right, he's geeked up. They won. He's celebrating like, but all right, it's an empty stadium. Like there's just a camera there. The other ones where he's looking into the camera. I asked Adam, I texted him. I was like, was he really looking into the camera? And it, it, during the middle of the game, he's like, yeah, definitely. So, <laughs> there's this whole thing with Winovich, like, you know, and, and there was a lot of this coming out in the draft about how he was a typical millennial. It's all about his brand. He's all about him. Uh, he likes to hear himself talk. He, lo- you know, he loves to get credit. And so long story short, you could see this happening on the field against in some of the games against the Chiefs, uh, other games when he got a chance where basically Belichick, the scheme called for him to play the ball and the man. And he, he had to read the play. And a couple times it was like th- that part of Winovich uh, on his, you know, the, the devil part on his right shoulder is like, go get the sack, go get the ball, go make a play because that's who he is inherently. And that compromised the defense. And I think Belichick was teaching him a lesson uh, for a lot of that stuff. Did, now, does that change at all in this game? Maybe I don't know if he. I don't know if this type of game earns the trust. He was certainly productive, but I don't know if it changes the inherent part about Winovich, which is: is he going to do what's right for him, or is he going to do what's right for the team when it comes down to nut cutting time? And I just, I I just don't know if we have that answer yet. But certainly, this was uh, it, it was impressive to watch. The second part of the defense I want to ask you about. You brought him up for a second there. Kyle Duggar. We saw a lot of Duggar on Sunday night. And if you look at the analytics and the grades and all that kind of stuff from PFF and similar websites, those analytics and those statistics would tell you that Duggar was pretty damn good on Sunday night. What did you see on the coach's film, Greg? Yeah, I thought he was pretty good. I I didn't think that he, he, I didn't think he got a ton of opportunity, certainly like Winovich did uh, in the game, but uh, I thought he was good. Um, you know my feelings about PFF. And by the way, I also saw somebody, this is just typical PFF, and it drives me crazy. Wants me to, I want to put my head through my computer screen when I see this. But that Jacoby Myers is now being mentioned with uh, Devontae Adams and yeah. Justin Jefferson for yes, best wide that. receivers in the NFL. I mean, geez, I didn't. I didn't know Bill Belichick had the, you know, one of the greatest receivers in the NFL <laughs> sitting on the bench all season. I mean, give me a freaking break. But uh, yeah, Duggar. Duggar's good. I I just like I I know he he did make some mistakes in this game. I remember he didn't get an edge one time. And and look, Chase Winovich uh had a couple issues too. He wasn't perfect, but 
man, they just look a lot faster, a lot more physical. I love Duggar coming forward. He's he's strong. He's fast. Like, there's got to be a way that they can deploy that guy in every game plan just to do something because he he does have a special athletic quality. And, Nick, I think we can both agree that uh, what we've seen from this defense most of the season, there hasn't been a whole lot of special out there. So why yeah, not let those yeah. guys play a little bit more? Yeah, I would agree with you. I want to see Duggar Moore out there, no doubt. I also thought that Uche showed up a couple of occasions with, with some pressures as well with his speed off the edge. So I think we might be able to see a little bit more Uche as we move on uh, in this season as well. All right, let's jump to the offense because you just said a word that I want to focus on, deploy. And you and I were screaming from the mountaintops weeks ago about Damian Harris. We were early on the bandwagon. We were screaming. I was screaming, get this guy 20 touches a game. He needs 20 touches a game. On Sunday, he got more than 20 touches. And once again, Damian Harris looks like a stud. Absolutely. I think I think if you if you pulled people around the team right now and you're like, all right, well, who's your best offensive player? I think, I I don't think there would be any hesitation that they would say Damian Harris. Mm. I just think he's been, he's been terrific. He doesn't like the, his big run. I think it was 25 yards. I remember, you know, I'm in the press box, I'm watching the game and, and on that drive, I'm behind the play not directly, but sort of off to the side. Right. And I'm looking through my binoculars and I'm like, I saw him run and I'm like, wait, wait a minute. How I didn't see any room there. How did he get out for 25 <laughs> yards? And he really did now now look, Patrick Queen, the, the Ravens rookie linebacker, screwed up. He ran it, he jumped into the wrong gap, and that really allowed the play to develop. But still, there wasn't a whole lot of play, uh, a whole lot of room on that. And and I just think that he, whether it's if you give him a Sony Michelle hole hole from you know when they won the Super Bowl, he's gonna he's gonna do a lot with it if you give him a little bit and this is the difference between him and sony you give him a crack he's gonna make five six maybe 12 look on that play 25 yards like he just he's a game breaker he is he's really fast through the hole he's decisive and then at the end of the runs which i love he finishes his run every single he makes he makes the other team uh, he punishes the other team, and and at some points, like you know, I saw guys like Marcus Peterson, Marcus Peters, and and other guys on that Ravens defense, like kind of shy away from the contact by the end mm. of the game, and and that's the type of player he is, and and he's uh he was terrific in this game, uh he's been terrific for them, and I I can't wait to see more. I just hope he stays healthy. He's got the pedigree, and I know some people might be watching him play and go. Yeah, but is he really that good? And, you know, the the Patriots have a really good offensive line and people will question Belichick's drafting. I mean, this is the guy who drafted Sony Michelle in the first round. But when you look at Harris and his resume, it's there. I mean, you look at the lineage of running backs coming out of that Saban program now. They're legit. I mean, they are legit. You talk about Derrick Henry. He's legit. Josh Jacobs. He's legit. And Harris was starting over Jacobs at Alabama which should tell you how good the guy is. I mean, he he does have that pedigree, and every time he's given the football, you know, almost every time, I don't want to say every time, but almost every time when he's given just a little bit of space, he will make a play, and he, and he has that acceleration through the hole. As you said, he finishes with power on his runs. You hardly ever see the guy go down on first contact. 
He gets more than what is expected of him when he's given the ball. You know, all of the telltale signs of a legitimate number one running back, it's all there. And and I think we're mm-hmm. finding out that the Patriots, if they want it, Greg, and a, as you mentioned, he's got to stay healthy. But if the Patriots want a bell cow, they have a bell cow. He, he is somebody who can run the ball 20 to 25 times. He can be your number one guy running back by committee. You can throw out the window. You can sprinkle in Burkhead. And, of course, you put James White out there on third down because, again, we saw on Sunday night, James White turns nothing into something. Uh, He he did that again. So, you know, of course you sprinkle those guys in, but the majority of the time has to go to Harris. And even if Sony Michelle is activated off of IR at some point, I know Belichick talked about it a little bit this morning, didn't give much. But if Michelle is activated, I don't think you see a lot of them. I mean, Harris has to be the guy. Let's talk about the offense as a whole, because when you look at what they did on Sunday night, and it's against a good defense. The Ravens are a good defense. They had a couple of injuries on the defensive line, including Calais Campbell. But overall, Greg, this is one of the better defenses in a league that does not show a lot of good defense anymore. What would you see from the offense? I mean, three consecutive touchdowns, almost a fourth. Your thoughts on what McDaniels did from beginning to end on Sunday night? Yeah. Again, just like the defensive side, I think they, they understand who they are Yeah, and they have a very small margin uh, for victory as a, you know, for, for the team, a very small margin for error for the team in general. And that certainly goes for the offense. And they, they just realized that, look, they can't get behind the sticks ever. They can't turn the ball over. And so, uh, you know, and they know that everything runs through the offensive line or it's got to, and, and, and that unit, the consistency that they have, and speaking of injured guys, is Jermaine Illuminor going to get back in for a Wenu? I don't know. Um, I would tend to doubt it at this point, and I actually, I, I actually bet that Illuminor wouldn't have that much of a problem because he put really good stuff on film, and he he's really about the next contract. So I don't think he cares. <laughs> he might want to rest on his laurels. Um, but I, I think that I think that McDaniel's did a really nice job. Uh, I thought that everybody sort of got involved in this game. Uh, Jakob Johnson had a really good job blocking. Ryan Izzo, give it up for Ryan Izzo. We you know we dog him when it's warranted. We praise him when it's warranted. And the kid had a really good game. Now, I think that the Ravens' issues, which we talked about going into the game, that they're very soft on the edge, uh, really played out in this game. And, yeah. I, and I thought that the Patriots really exploited that whether it was Juden who's on the franchise tag who was getting you know blocked easily by Ryan Izzo I mean that's just pathetic it, it really is and then Gakwe didn't do anything Pernell McPhee didn't do anything on the edge like the Patriots just they they, they took a lot of the uh, Ravens weaknesses used them against them uh, I thought that um, they were efficient in the passing game Cam was okay you know he missed that third down throw in the end zone uh, there was a lot of confusion going on in that second and third down. I don't exactly know what was going on, but I was looking through my binoculars at the time, and I saw uh, near where McDaniels and Belichick were, there's a guy with a blue jacket. And I saw him sort of scrambling and running to the sideline. To me, that tells me that there might have been communication issues mm. during that time. That That's normally a guy who handles the communications for the Patriots. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just guessing. But um, – I mean, to, to, for the these Patriots against a good Ravens defense, like you said, um, they certainly have issues on the edge. I think that Marcus Peters is a um, is a whiny little bitch and, uh, <laughs> and 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 shied away from a lot of things, and really is an insult to what the pa- Ravens are paying him. 
uh, for him to put some of the, that lack of effort on film. But for, for the Patriots to score touchdowns on three consecutive drives, they were on the two-yard line a fourth time yeah i mean nick if we if, if we said that like four weeks ago people would have been like give me a break you're 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 a homer you're in la la land there's no way the patriots are doing that so they've gotten to where they are i think the weather certainly factored into to, to played to the patriots strengths and helped them but uh that's that's good work by them and now they just they have to keep stacking success and i and i think Going into Houston this week, an indoor game, uh, uh, an opponent that's had a lot of issues, uh, as everybody knows, you know, this is sort of the game where you you try to establish yourself and then you try to do a little bit extra because the Patriots are going to they, – they can't just play like this every week. They, they yeah. just can't. They could in this game, but we'll see. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, I mean – I'm going to sound like a broken freaking record. I've been saying it on this podcast. I've been saying it on WEEI for the past, I don't know, two months. Before the season kicked off, I looked at this big picture and said, you've got to give this team six or seven games to figure out what it was on offense. And you and I talked about that back in August, Greg. You've got to give this offense with Cam, with the COVID situation, everything going on, you've got to give them six to seven games to find out who they are and what they do best. Then you had COVID hit. You had the Denver game, and that, to me, pushed the timeline another week or two. So I had been saying, going back to that Denver game, listen, if you were waiting six or seven games, now, unfortunately, you have to wait eight or nine games to figure out what this offense is, and that's what McDaniels and Cam and Belichick are going to do. And I think that's precisely what we're seeing. I mean, Sunday night was game nine of the season. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think we're right on that mark. And so I think going forward, the Patriots know who they are. They know what Cam can do, and they will add to this as they go on, but they have a a firm foundation now as to what they need to do effectively to win games, and I think they will stay in that lane for the most part. They figured out who they are, and it it took eight or nine games. I'm not surprised by that, and for the people that were throwing everything in the garbage, uh, you know, again, it's 2020, and I know everybody wants to have their take and plant their flag, and they've got to live Mm -hmm. by that, and but, you know, you had to look at this from 35,000 feet and you had to say to yourself, it's going to take time. If there's well, Nick, any team, it's, it's patience. And that is patience with this team. Yeah. Well, Nick, let me ask you this. And, and I was having a conversation um, with somebody in the NFL about this earlier. And, and look, people know the people that are listening have read me for years. They right. listen to me on here and they know I don't I'm, I'm not a homer. I'm not just going to say stuff to make Patriots fans feel good about themselves. Right. Like I'm, I'm giving you my honest opinion Yeah. and my honest opinion, because I'm trying to get ahead of it because you will, especially after they beat the Texans on Sunday, you will start to see this creep in, but this is a legitimate question in the AFC. If the Patriots have to go on the road, if they do make the playoffs, which first of all is no guarantee, because there's a lot of weak divisions, you know, in the, in this league, if they make the postseason in the age of COVID and no fans in the stands, who are you? Who are they going to travel to that you think they don't have a shot against? Yeah, I mean, outside of the Chiefs, and and the homers will say, "Well, they almost beat them with Brian Hoyer." That's true. I don't think the Chiefs really brought their A game that night because Cam wasn't there and all that stuff. Um, the Chiefs are the only team I wouldn't want to see, and they likely they won't see them. For a while, the Chiefs will probably get the bye. But if they have to go to, 
you know, name a team. Pittsburgh, I don't rule it out. The Ravens, we just saw this the other night. They talk a lot, but they don't do, you know, the Titans, uh, I don't know. The Bills, no, the, 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 the Patriots weren't even good, and the yeah. Bills barely beat them at their place. So if the Patriots can get in, if they can start stacking success, getting a little bit better, stay healthy, in this year, more than any other, I think it's wide open, and and it's and I I just think I just think it's there for them to do some damage, and and I think I think that's the way the Patriots are thinking, and I think that's the way people should be thinking about this team. I think it's going to be a difficult task to get into the playoffs because yeah, it's true, you know, there are a number of teams now at six and three. They've got a that Denver off. loss really kid that oh, killed them. The conference loss that that yeah. really killed them. Yeah, if they have to leapfrog three or four teams, it could be difficult. But when I look at the league, and I've been saying this, and I understand, you know, you're in New England. I lived in New England for 30-plus years. You know, I understand it. You watch your team, and you focus on your team. And you said this yep. last week, Greg. You said, hey, listen, I don't watch a lot of football outside of the Patriots. Like, people think I do, but I don't. Mm -hmm. and, and when I'm getting ready for a Patriots opponent, that's when I crank up the film and I start really paying attention to who they have. But yep. up until that point, I've got to focus on what's in my own backyard. So I understand it. And, and I understand why Patriots fans, they're singularly focused on the team. But as mm -hmm. I've said, you know, for seven-plus years, I've had another day job, and I talk about sports pretty much nationally. And I watch a lot of football. And I think what gets overlooked is how mediocre the league is. Like yes. when you look at the big picture, I've been saying this for the last three or four weeks on all of the radio shows I've done in podcasts. There are three tiers in the NFL. You have the top tier, which is the contenders. Every single year you have five teams or so that you look at and say, all right, Super Bowl or bust. Those are the teams yeah. that should, you know, the Saints, the Chiefs. Uh, the Buccaneers this year, Seahawks, well, Seahawks, you know, yep. you look at those top five or six and Steelers. Yep. Yeah, and, then, and then yep. you've got the bottom feeders, the teams that have no chance, the teams that are yep. gunning for a top five pick, you know, the jets, the WFTs, uh, the, the giants, the Jaguars, uh, the Bengals. you have those five or six teams. And then the reality, Greg, is that there are about 20 teams that are stuck in the middle and you are either going to be seven and nine or 10 and six. And that's where the Patriots are this year. They're stuck in that middle. If they execute, if you are in the middle class in the NFL, if you execute, you will win those games. If you fail to execute, even once or twice, that's what you talk about with margin for error. If you don't execute once or twice, that's the difference between you winning 10 or 11 games and winning seven games. And when you look back at this season, that's how Patriots fans are going to feel. They're going to look back and say, damn it. If they got into the end zone against Seattle, now they're, you know, better. They're five and four. Damn it. If Cam doesn't fumble against the Buffalo Bills with 30 some odd seconds left in the game and they yep. find a way to get into that end zone, they're now six and three instead of four and five. But that mm -hmm. is the nature of being in that middle class. And I think Patriots fans for 20 years, they've been the top five, the top tier, always a contender. So now they've swung to the other extreme. They've gone from, hey, we're a top contender, and that's what we expect, to now when they don't play up to the standard that they've had for 20 years, they've swung the other way. And now it's, right. oh, they suck. They're yep. And I've been telling fans, listen, <laughs> I know that you are angry and frustrated because you're used to that standard. But what you have to understand is 
this Patriots team is not as bad as the bottom five or six teams in the league. And the only reason you think they are is because you haven't had the unfortunate task of watching those teams that suck. And I can tell you, <laughs> I can tell you, there are five to seven teams that no doubt are worse than the Patriots. There, no doubt, no doubt. So the Patriots are in that middle ground. And so, you know, I, I've just looked at this from the very beginning. They could be nine and seven if things fell together. They could be 10 and six if they fail to execute. If something funky happens like COVID takes over with Cam, they can end up being seven and nine. So I just think people have to deal with reality and they've got to embrace it and understand that the Patriots are in a group of another 18 to 20 teams, which is why, you know, I ultimately agree with you. They get into the playoffs. It, there's not a lot of teams that will scare you. Every single team in the league has a flaw. Every single team has is Kansas City's defense really good? I don't think so. Baltimore's right. defense isn't good and they're all isn't as good as we thought it was going to be, and their offense has regressed. Indianapolis, are you going to trust Phillip Rivers against a good defense? I would not. You can look in Tennessee's defense this year has been atrocious. Even on the NFC side, Seattle's defense can't get out of its own way. And for the past two or three weeks, Russell Wilson has struggled without a run game. You can look at every single team and say to yourself, yeah, I mean, there's not a lot separating most of these teams. And that's the reality. Let me ask you about this before we get to the question of the day from bostonsportsjournal.com. What's going on with Stephon Gilmore? What do you hear? Is he anywhere near close to coming back? Um, it's a good, it's a good question, and I talk. I, and I've been asking around the team um, past couple of days. Uh, here's here's a fact that I know. I know that he's in the building and he's rehabbing his ass off. All right, I've been I've been told that by a couple different people around the team now. Does that mean that there's not some sort of shenanigans going on? No, because mm. Gilmore knows how to play the game better than anybody. He showed that this summer with his little uh, vacation and uh, that earned somehow earned him a $5 million bonus. Uh, <laughs> that was a, that was an unofficial holdout. Um, yeah. and, and he came back and he said the right things to the media. Belichick deflected as normal. Uh, I'm just telling you, so that's what I've been told. So I think the knee injury is somewhat legit, but I also think it's, it's a very good cover. And, and, but my personal gut tells me from covering the league for 20 years and, and seeing how the Patriots deal with things and how certain players deal with things. Uh, I think he's throwing a little bit of a hissy fit about not being traded at the deadline. I think he's, he's taking his time with his knee. He's still doing what he needs to do, and I'm sure he'll be out there in short order. But I think Gilmore saying like I'm I'm taking my sweet ass time with this, mm. and probably he's probably making a business decision, which is, and we've seen this from Gronk in the past too. I'm not going out there till I'm 100 percent because if you ain't giving me my contract extension, somebody else is after this season once you trade my ass or cut my ass, and so. I am not jeopardizing that because I'm going to be 31 next year. Right. If I have to undergo an ACL surgery at this point in time, forget it. I'm making league minimum for the rest of my my career. So I think there's something going on there. I don't think it's adversarial or a big problem at this time. I don't know if it gets to that point because, you know, I think Belichick respects the business aspect of this as well. All right, let's get to the uh, bostonsportsjournal.com member question of the day. Check them out over at BSJ, 11 cents a day on their annual plan. Not only do you get top-notch analysis of all the Boston Pro Sports, but if you're a Patriots junkie, which you are, then a membership at BSJ gives you access to a ton of video analysis Bedard does on the coaches' film, 
and direct access to him in weekly chats. Uh, this comes from, I want to say, Pangoline? Pangoline? Let's say Pangoline. Uh, okay. best, best swarming to the ball from the D we've seen in a long time. Greg, what do you make of shifting the green dot from McCordy to Simon? Yeah, I thought that was interesting, and I noted that during the game. Um, you could see Simon looking at the sideline and then giving the the uh, the calls in the huddles. Normally, it's it's Juwan Bentley. Uh, the week prior, I think it was Devin McCourty. Uh, I bet the Patriots got through that game and said that doesn't really work as well uh, for us. That um, having a having a deep safety uh, making the calls because he also has to worry about checks and keeping the secondary uh, in line. And so that probably didn't work as well. And they probably didn't want to give it to Therese Hall because you never know. They might put in Jennings or somebody yeah. else or yeah. safeties. You, you, you give it to the person that you know is going to be on the field. And obviously in the game plan, they knew that John Simon was going to play a lot in that game. He's very smart. Uh, he doesn't have as much on his plate uh, before snap as Devin McCourty. So I think it just, they just, I think it's simply they looked at a guy. All right, well, who's a smart guy, veteran guy in the front seven who's going to be on the field that we uh, most of the time that we know about, and pretty much that's John Simon. And so I, I don't think it was a big deal. Uh, I don't think it says anything about Devin McCourty. Certainly, uh, I just think it's where they are without a middle linebacker at this point in time, and and uh, and and certainly it speaks a lot to uh, how how high of esteem they they hold John Simon, and and they should. He's a He's a good, solid veteran player who's played a lot of snaps in this league. So we said they had a chance. Neither of us were confident enough to actually pick them to beat the Ravens, <laughs> but we said they had a chance, and obviously a big win for the Patriots now at 4-5. and five. They get ready for the Houston Texans coming up on Sunday. Next time up, Greg and I will discuss that game and what we expect to see. Patriots-Texans. Until then, everybody be safe, be good, be healthy. This is the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast, which you should subscribe to. Uh, rate and review uh, the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cattles. We'll talk to you next time. Texans Patriots coming up next.